following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. As you can see from our attendance today, this is a compelling topic and teaches us something very fundamental about who we are psychologically. The study of dreams teaches us about ourselves. And any person who is invested in exploring their dreams, awakening their potential, wants to discover something more, perhaps about our humanity, and more importantly, about our divinity, the divine, the truth. Dreams teach us something about how we live in our daily life, who we are fundamentally, whether it be illusory, mistaken, confused, or perhaps illuminated, profound, spiritual. It's important to reflect on what exactly lucid dreams are. Some people confuse lucid dreaming with astral projection. An astral projection is when physically we go to bed and we, as a soul, as a psyche, depart, enter into the internal dimensions, the realities of life and the mysteries of the divine beyond the confines of the body. And so, as we've explained in this course, all religious traditions teach about the realities of existence beyond mere physicality, beyond the senses, beyond the mind, the realities of the spirit. Every time we go to bed, we enter the world of dreams, but without awareness, without cognizance of that process. 
astral projection is to fall asleep and to enter that state. But for most of us, this is not conscious. It is not real. It is not realized. A lucid dream is merely having lucidity, clarity, depth, vibrancy in color, profound, expansive awareness, a type of high resolution within our perception. That can happen in the middle of the night, perhaps spontaneously, often happens without us even willing it. If some of us might be here because we had a lucid dream that we couldn't explain. And more importantly, we couldn't initiate or sustain. There are techniques in order to first initiate the awakened consciousness. And then there are techniques to maintain that state. And it is the purpose of this lecture to explain that. The practical tools, the need to strengthen that part of us, which has the capacity to know these realities. We like to be very specific with our definitions in relation to the language or the definition of dreams. A lucid dream in conventional language, again, is to have that type of expansive awareness. But our purpose in this school, particularly, is not to dream. A dream is an illusion, a fantasy, a mirage. A dream in itself is often the conjuration of our own subjective tendencies, like fear. Perhaps we've had a dream of being chased by an animal, and then we reflect on our daily life, and we find that there is perhaps a situation that we feel agony, we feel fear, we feel uncertainty. There is a correlation between dreams and awakening, or our daily life. And the dream yogi seeks to understand that connection between our psychological states at night and during the day. But as we've been explaining in this course, we want to understand our dreams, how we are mistaken in our perceptions of life. Perhaps in our daily state, we are filled with anger towards someone, a person, a situation. And that anger has its logic, our reasoning, our ideas. We've explained that these types of sentiments and feelings in themselves are a type of dreaming. We maybe fantasize about revenge. We feel resentment towards someone and we have frustrations and plans that churn in the mind 
conflicts, sufferings. And instead of looking at our particular situations in life, instead, we dream. Our mind wanders. We're never really present with our states, with our way of being, with who we are. Awakening is different. It's good to have more resolution to our perceptions when we physically go to bed. You have a dream, you have more lucidity. It's very powerful. It's useful. But it doesn't mean that we're not asleep. Psychologically speaking, that we're not interacting with an illusion. We know, perhaps, we go to bed physically after a long day, we felt resentment towards someone, we wake up or perhaps we become aware of a dream that we're killing someone. We have anger. Or, again, any type of negative emotion that could saturate our daily life and make us sour people. These are dreams. These are illusions. We want to awaken. Not to perceive our own mind reflected back at us, but to see reality. To see what is actually there. And that is the purpose of this course. To awaken. To not merely perceive what we want, but rather what is. So how do we awaken to reality? The realities of the dreaming state, the internal worlds. We've touched on the first point, curtail negative thought, emotion, and action. The second is to conserve energy, psychologically, emotionally, physically. We also want to energize the consciousness. We also want to conserve our force, but also exercise the faculties of the soul, our perception. We also seek to connect with divinity, the being, specifically through superior states. Superior centers that we've explained in our lecture on how do we dream. There are also things to enact in our life that can help us developing our ethical discipline, performing service for humanity. And this might seem strange in the context of a lecture on lucid dreaming, but it's actually very profound when you think about it. We'll talk about it. We also can create vehicles within the internal worlds so that we can navigate it effectively. Some people call this the astral body or the authentic vehicle of the soul. In Christianity, it's the wedding garment of the soul. 
There are many religious traditions that teach about a superior kind of vehicle that can help you explore those realities. And lastly, we seek to eliminate what we call the ego, defects, vices, and errors. It's important to conserve energy. Psychologically, we have a determined amount of capital in a spiritual sense. When you wake up in the morning, you feel an amount or quality of energy to fulfill one's daily obligations. We spoke a lot about different centers of our psychology. We have an intellect where we process thought. We have an emotional center where we focus on the expression of sentiment. We have a motor center relating to our spine. We have instinct relating to our impulses, reaction. We also have our sexuality. And all of these centers in themselves have a deposit of energy. They're like a bank. But how do we spend our money in a spiritual sense? If you want to awaken to your dreams, you need energy. Examine in your life. How do you waste energy in your intellect? Do you read too much? Argue, debate, maybe theorize, philosophize. Indulge in any fantasy in the mind. Letting the mind wander and never be present here and now. How do we spend our emotional capital? Do we feed it with anger, pride, resentment, impatience, negative emotion? Our modern society is glorifying these emotions. But we know from experience, after the moment of anger, we feel depleted. The same with our motor energy, our vitality. Do we do too much exercise, too many sports, too much activities? We're always running around and never aware of our own body our breathing, our heart. The same with all of our functions. We have vital values. We have to conserve them by learning how to be present and aware of ourselves from moment to moment. Not only is it important to conserve our energy, but also we need to accumulate it. The human body, the human machine, the human psyche is like a marvelous antenna 
that can attract all sorts of influences. It's important to accumulate force because the human machine, rather than being a passive instrument where life can just happen, instead, if it's intelligently managed, can attract superior forces. Energy, divine qualities. Nature is filled with it. The consciousness, the soul, what we call the essence in this tradition, needs to be activated. It needs to awaken to its reality, its own true nature. And the way that it can do that is by first conserving energy, but then accumulating it. We have practices in our tradition that we use. The following is a form of yoga. It's called the runes. The Nordic language is a symbol of principles in nature. Each letter of that alphabet represents a posture, which when you combine with sacred sound or prayer, literally your body vibrates with a type of energetic potential that sparks the consciousness. And that energy can help us to be very lucid within dreams. This practice is given by Glorian.org. They have a video, which we've linked in this PowerPoint. You can access it and learn it. It's a very useful technique. But more importantly, whenever we perform any type of spiritual practice to accumulate energy, it's important that we Learn to pay attention, to be aware of what we're doing here and now at all times. Because as Samal Anvior, the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition, stated, wherever we direct our attention, we spend creative energy. Every thought, every emotion, every impulse requires a type of energy. Everything in the universe is powered by energy. The consciousness is the same. But for the consciousness to be able to work effectively, we have to learn to divide attention. We have to observe ourselves to be present, to be looking at our entire being. You divide yourself like an actor being filmed by a director, and you observe your reactions to life. You look at them, every thought, every feeling, every impulse. That's because the soul does not waste energy. The consciousness does not waste 
our spiritual potential. Our defects do. Pride, anger, resentment, lust. These qualities burn the fuel of our being. So by learning to observe that in ourselves, we save energy. The consciousness knows how to direct the car, whether in the physical world or in the astral world. But if we don't divide our attention, if we don't observe ourselves, it's impossible to awaken because we're not actively looking at who we are and what we're doing. It's awareness, being aware of ourselves, being in remembrance of our real potential, the real qualities of the soul. This is why Salman Vyar stated, we can save creative energy if we divide attention. If we do not become identified with things, people, and ideas. We talked about dreaming. In a moment of crisis, maybe a conflict at work, we feel resentment or pride or a whole conglomeration of reactions. If we invest our energy into that state, we deplete ourselves. But if you observe it, if you learn to pay attention to the whole process, you become like a battery. You accumulate energy. You save energy. The soul learns to drive the car. We must not dream. We must not identify with problems, but look at them. To see them and not give them so much of our energy. One way to exercise the consciousness is a practice called the key of soul. It's an acronym for subject, object, location. This word soul in Spanish relates to the sun or is it the term solar, the light? It's a practice that we use in the daytime, that we train ourselves in, so that when we fall asleep at night, and in a dream suddenly we're walking down some street, we start to question our reality. I'm sure all of us perhaps have had an experience, a dream, where you were interacting with someone or something, you were in some place talking with someone, and maybe something unusual happened. You saw something out of the ordinary, maybe a person flying or floating in the air, or seeing some type of animal or creature that escapes definition. But usually because we don't question our reality, we merely accept the dream. You wake up, and then you realize what happened. The dream felt real because it is real to a degree. However, we did not understand in the moment or question 
what was going on. Because it felt real, we didn't question it. That can change. And the reason is, in our current state, because we don't question our reality, we're not really aware of ourselves in the daytime. We don't question ourselves when we dream. That's the connection. Our dreaming life is a mirror of our daily life, with an exception. In the dream state, you are free of the body. You can levitate, you can float, you can pass through walls. <clears throat> you can teleport. You can see things that you would never see physically. But because in our daily life, we're not trained in learning to pay attention, when we go to bed at night, we, do, we just follow the same trajectory. So the key of soul will teach us how to question our reality, how to discern what is going on. And then when you know you're in the astral world, then the fun begins. The real investigation, the real exploration into our inner being, we could say. So we talked a little bit about this. Self-observation, the subject. Awakening in dreams begins when we observe ourselves. We see in this image a woman seated in a chair looking at a mirror who sees a reflection of an invisible man. You don't see him standing behind her shoulder, but you do see him in the mirror. We chose this image because it reflects a fundamental reality. Self-observation is a different sense than our common, ordinary way of being. It is looking into ourselves to see that which is not concrete, which is not visible to the physical senses. We can't say that we can see the color of our anger, but you can feel it. It's quality. It's expression. It's also possible to be able to look and to separate from anger or from any other debilitating emotion or state. You can actually observe it in the moment. Only if we're actively looking and if we divide our attention, we are the subject. We're observing ourselves. We're looking with our alert novelty. We're looking for what is new, what we've never seen before. This is very different from our modern state of knowing. We, we may know we're angry, but are we looking at it? It's a very distinct quality that we taste again and again through practice. It is not an intellectual exercise. Observing and then thinking, I feel anger, or I feel fear. It doesn't involve concepts. It involves attention. This is the fundamental capacity of the consciousness to look, 
The continuity of attention throughout an entire day is what different traditions call mindfulness. To remember yourself. To remember your true nature. Which is something essentially divine and transcendent. And escapes the limitations of our perhaps defects. In the book Igneous Rose, Salman Vyar gave a very interesting quote about the quality of this type of perception. He stated, discernment is direct perception of the truth without the process of conceptual selection. You don't think. You don't have to think about it. You look and you know. Thought, while necessary in life to navigate this existence, is not our fundamental reality. It can store information, good, bad, yes, no, positive, negative. It can label things. But the intellect is, as we've stated previously, the obstacle to lucid dreaming. The thought process is like a stormy, cloudy sky that obscures the light. It's true, we need the intellect. We need it to function in society. But there are ways to look at the intellect without being dependent on it, to a slave to it, but to be in command. You need to use your thought process for something, you do it, but it doesn't control you. If you've tried meditation for 10 minutes, in the beginning you find that the mind is all over the place. It's always wandering. Memories, daydreams, preoccupations, anxieties, worries. The mind needs to be trained. You do that by looking at your mind, observing it. And the process of this, we don't have to label anything. It's important not to justify or condemn what we see. Consider yourself like a detective. You're looking for evidence for your own particular mistakes. Other people often can point it out to us very easily, but when looking at ourselves, it's difficult. But this is the fundamental practice. Observe yourself. You have a difficult argument with your partner. You feel riled up. You say what you say. Maybe regret it later. Rather than get into those kinds of situations, you can, in the moment, if you feel you're criticized, look at your reaction. Do an experiment. Don't justify it. And don't condemn it. There are two extremes and a pendulum. In the beginning, people often, we often justify ourselves for our behaviors. But with practice, as you begin to observe yourself, you might see things that you don't like, that are very difficult. And then the other extreme is to condemn everything you see. Neither of those extremes is right. The middle way is looking at it, not feeding it, not trying to push it away. 
but observe it. As you're doing that, you start to remember yourself. You remember who you really are. We talk a lot about the being. The being, in our terms, is the divine, our real nature. For lack of a better word, God. The consciousness is a spark of that. It's a seed. And when you exercise self-observation and you remember that quality in yourself, in every moment of your life, you are remembering the divine. Not some old man in the clouds, but a state which is not limited to anything, to problems, to much of our common daily existence. This is important. This is the beginning. Because if you practice observing yourself throughout the day, you will start to remember yourself at night when you dream. Most of the time, when you've had a dream, perhaps, there's a vague notion that you were maybe someone or something. It's not entirely necessarily fleshed out. You can have a dream that you're someone else, that you're another country, that you're another identity. And usually that's very vague. It's amorphous. It's cloudy. If you want to retain clarity in your dreams, practice it during the day. Observe yourself. Be aware that you are in your body. You're walking around, you're talking with someone, you're exercising, you're cooking, you're washing dishes. Whatever you're doing, be aware of what you are observing your states. Without that, you won't question or recognize yourself at night. While we self-observe, we also have to expand our awareness. We have to expand it outward to our environment, the objects that we interact with. But why? It's because in the astral world, you will see objects that don't exist physically. You may see things in your home or room or your work that don't have a physical reality. Maybe you find yourself suddenly talking to someone at a desk, working in an office, and you look at the desk as you're starting to question and remember yourself. You start to look at an object. Maybe you see like a glass butterfly, but its wings are moving. It is life. It's animated. And the question becomes, why on earth is this inanimate thing moving? And so that should shock us. What is going on here? You look at the object. You look at the objects in your home or wherever you find yourself. And you look for the unexpected. You have to be looking. You can't be passive. 
even in your own home, you have to look at things like you've never seen it before. Question it. When you do that in the day, at night, suddenly you may find yourself again in your home and you see things that you don't have in your physical bedroom. And then you question, where am I? What is going on? Examine your environment. Look out the window. Maybe you find that you're in your, in your home, but you look out the window and you see that you're on the top of some tower in 13th century medieval or medieval France. You see buildings that don't exist in the physical world. And then you wonder, how did I get here? What is this place? Where am I? This practice is like taking multiple mirrors and juxtaposing them. Notice that from the subject, you start to augment and to expand and to develop your attention, your awareness. It's like taking a candle and then reflecting it in multiple mirrors. The original light of your self-observation expands. You're in your body, you're observing yourself, and then you pay attention to your locale. You look at the objects in front of you. You question, is this real or is this a dream? Where am I? Look around you. You may find you're walking down a street somewhere in an unfamiliar city. And you ask that question as you're looking at perhaps seeing cars or different types of vehicles, maybe not from the United States. It's different. So you look at your environment and you question, where am I? This for me is always the fun part. Questioning. Here's the reality check. You want to know if you're dreaming or not? In a discreet way? Take your finger, grab it lightly, and pull it slightly with the intention that it's going to stretch. Not too hard, you don't want to hurt yourself. But you should have the intention and the motive that your finger is going to stretch. And the reason is, in the astral dimension, your astral body is subjected to different laws. The astral body can become elastic. It can stretch. It can become small. It can fly. It can teleport. The matter of that vehicle, that body, is not as material as this physical world. But it does have a type of material, energetic existence. And so if you find that in your dream, your finger is stretching, you got your answer. You know you're in the astral dimension. And this is the beginning of knowing how to investigate the higher worlds. When you recognize that you're out of your body and you've verified it. One other way to do it, to check your reality, is to jump in the air. You might not want to do this at work or uh, someplace too public. 
But if you're in private somewhere, you can jump in the air with the intention of flying. Physically, obviously, but in the dream state, if you're levitating, you got your answer. You can also ask the people around you in your dream, excuse me, this might sound like an odd question, but what city is this? Maybe they'll tell you, Boston, look at you kind of funny and walk away because they don't know that they're dreaming. But now you know your answer. How is it that I was in Chicago walking around the city and I find myself in Boston? And then you're awake. Now you can take advantage of exploring many mysteries. One other way you can uh, also do a reality check is since astral matter is much, much more ductile and elastic, you can put your hand in a window. You can pass it through an object. You can take your hand on a, some kind of glass and push your hand through with the intention of going through it. It'll be like the glass bending and you hear a crackling noise, but won't break. And then you know. Different ways you can check yourself. But the only way that you can do this is if in the daytime, discreetly, when you see something very unusual, something that's out of the ordinary in your daily physical life, pull your finger. Or if you're somewhere alone, jump in the air. See if you float. There's a certain advantage to being very mechanical. Meaning we kind of repeat past behaviors unconsciously. If you train your unconscious behaviors to check yourself at all times or when necessary, when convenient, when you dream, you do the same thing. It becomes automatic. You train yourself so that now you're awake. You know where you are and you know what you can do. So the being is the divine, our real nature. And oftentimes people think of a type of religious experience as something as a matter of belief. In reality, it is a fact. It is an experience. It is a perception in which the consciousness knows within the internal dimensions, the divine. And we've talked about this quite frequently, how as a divine abstraction, that truth becomes material within dreams. It manifests in different symbols and forms. It comes to be as a type of symbolic language, an archetypal and allegorical form. So when you're lucid in a dream, you can now ask my being, my divinity, teach me what I need to know. And then suddenly, many things can happen. Maybe the scene changes. Maybe a figure emerges out of the nothing in front of you. Maybe you're transported to some other place, taken to a temple of the universal brotherhood and sisterhood. 
where you can be instructed about how to know reality and the truth and how to live life more effectively. But connecting with the being is not merely just that. We have to taste it in our daily life. When we're washing dishes, when we're driving our car, when we're talking with a loved one, this is self-remembrance. When the mind is still and passive like a lake that has no ripple. And when the emotions are calm, then divinity can express. The being can manifest. And the qualities are like all of the virtues and ethics that religion have taught. Selflessness, compassion, conscious love, patience, altruism and happiness for others. These are things that we might taste sporadically in life, but it is something that we can develop as you're remembering yourself. And what is that real self? It is the being. It is the consciousness. But that state has to be cultivated. It occurs through practice, through discipline. And often in a moment in which we don't think, maybe we're doing something and suddenly we just have a profound presence of being in the moment in which there is no thought. There is no negative emotion, no instinct. No obscuration, but just pure presence. That is a functionalism of the divine. An awareness and profound attention in oneself. That doesn't involve any type of contamination of ego. It is selflessness. In the sense of how we think of a self. In our modern conceptions. The real self, the real being, does not have a sense of I, me, what I am. It is an identity and an individuality, an integrity that is super transcendent. And it does not have any sense of personality or difference. But knowing that quality takes a lot of work. It's not easy. You won't learn it in one day or even after many years, but over time, and as you train with exercises like meditation, self-observation, self-remembrance, the key of soul, it becomes something natural. If we want to really awaken in dreams, we should learn to develop service. Again, this might seem unusual, but the truth is that we receive in accordance with what we give. The law of reciprocity is the law of the divine. It is compassion, it is kindness, it is giving. In whatever way is natural and idiosyncratic to us, according to our skills and our talents, our disposition, our abilities. Oftentimes, we can get lucid experiences because 
as we start to practice, we try to give help to others. And divinity rewards that. We receive those ecstasies in the clouds when we lift up our poor and humble neighbor who is suffering, who cannot help him or herself. Whatever way that is possible for us, we should learn to give. Could be our time, could be our energy, could be our pride. Maybe we helped someone or don't want to help someone because we think we are better than them. For some, it's money. For some, it's their ego. Doing the very thing that you don't want to do because it hurts, but you know in your conscience it is right. To be like someone like Christ, selfless. Many figures in religion, many different teachers and prophets and beings who were awakened to those inner realities. They did it because they learned how to be of service. Because if you give to others and your capacities, the internal world's open. And you can often receive gifts like a astral projection or a samadhi, a mystical experience, because we're being ethical. But another thing to remember, too, is that we need to give birth to something inside of ourselves. We often talk in these studies about the solar bodies. People talk a lot about the astral body, but often with very vague definitions. There are a lot of people who think that we automatically possess an astral body in the authentic sense. There are really, we can say, two forms we talked about earlier. We have the lunar astral body, which is a gift of nature. The theosophists call it the kamarupa, the body of desire. We're born with it. We use it whenever we dream, mechanically, unconscious. But if you want to know the higher worlds, you can create what is called a solar astral body, a vehicle that is made of a different type of energy. It's a different type of vehicle. Compare a skateboard to a rocket ship. That's the difference between the two. With a lunar astral body, we go through our mechanical life in dreams, repeating often the same behaviors and states. We wake up, and then we realize we were dreaming. It's possible to, in the beginning, learn how to use that gift of nature in a conscious way. But if we really want to access much more elevated states, you can create, it's called a solar astral body. This is a work related to the creation of the soul. As I said, it's called the wedding garment of the soul in the Christian gospel. To be born again it means to have a solar astral body. It's a vehicle that can navigate the heavens. The Egyptians depicted in many myths and symbols. Like a sparrow hawk 
rising above a mummy in one of the cards of the Egyptian tarot. It's a vehicle of the stars. It belongs to heaven, the higher worlds. And in order to create this vehicle, one can use the, the very energy that is fundamental to life. It's the creative energy, sexuality. Just as a couple can give birth to a physical child through a work of what is known as alchemy, that energy can be conserved and saved and then give birth to these vehicles. And the way that one knows that one has them is by having worked in this path. Some people call it initiation. It's a very profound work. Very difficult. But it can grant you great frequency, sustainability, and more profound depth of the inner worlds. Because it operates on the superior energy. It, it gives you different senses, abilities to travel not only in the astral world on this planet, but to other planets themselves, to be a citizen of the cosmos. But if you want to know more about how that is achieved, you can study the perfect matrimony by Salman Vior, where he explicitly discusses the methods for how to do this. Also of importance is the spiritual path of mystical death. If you want a lucid dream more frequently with greater resolution, as we were saying, eliminate pride. Eliminate anger. Comprehend the emotions and the defects that waste energy, that cause pain for people, for our loved ones, for our communities, for ourselves. It's always the most unpleasant aspect of this work is giving up, removing, and eliminating everything that makes us weak and which makes us suffer, makes other people suffer. This path of mystical death is taught in many courses and books. The primary method to achieve purification of the consciousness is through meditation. We deepen our self-observation practice. We gather data about who we are, about our real faults. And then we take them into meditation, we review them. We can imagine scenes in our life in which we saw certain defects arise, like fear or resentment or pride. And then we examine them and comprehend them. Through comprehension and reliance upon the divine, we ask to remove these faults. End them. And when we do that, we free the genie from Aladdin's lamp the myth. It's the meaning of it. Anger traps a certain 
quanta of our potential, a quality and quantity. And when you eliminate the defects, you free the genie that can do all the magic. You can astral travel, awaken in the internal worlds with greater capacities. You see more. You also know how to navigate those states intuitively. You don't have to think about it. You just do it. Simple analogy. Break the bottle, you free the light. Because every defect, every ego, is a cage. When those are removed, you integrate the psyche and become wise. Also become illuminated. This is taught symbolically in all religions in an allegorical form. But something that we can study in ourselves. We have a couple tips we can use for awakening in dreams. Remember why you're practicing. Why do you want a lucid dream? What's the motive? I studied lucid dreams because in the beginning I was curious. I had an experience when I was very young in which I had a type of awareness that was more real than the physical world. And it made me raise questions because if that reality was more real than this, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? Why explore that part of ourselves that our modern culture ignores? For many of us, it can be a longing to know why we suffer and to want to change. For some, it could be the inspiration to enjoy a heavenly state beyond this material world. And for some people, it can be a religion in the true sense of the word, a reunion with the divine. So it's good to question ourselves. Why do we practice? What do we want? Do we want to be guided internally? It's possible. And it will happen if we're sincere. We can also establish a goal for how often we check ourselves. Maybe in the day you want to set up 10 stopping points on your watch or your phone to remember your practice. Some people, they'll use an alarm at certain times in the day where they'll hear the alarm and they'll remember. It's supposed to be paying attention. So one practical tool. It's also important to genuinely and consciously question our experience. Question what it is we're seeing at all times. To develop a type of inquisitive investigation like a child. A child does not have perhaps the conditioning of adult life, always seeing life through the past. A child looks at everything with awe and joy, spontaneity, intuition. That's why in the Christian gospel they talk about become ye like little children doesn't mean to become naive or 
or uh, gullible. It means to be like a child always looking, examining the world, seeing what is new and finding a universe in a raindrop. The awe and the joy of being in life and seeing it and questioning what is everything that is happening. We should also consistently and safely enact reality checks. Obviously, if you want to try jumping in the air, it's uh, important not to try anything dangerous, like physically jumping over, jumping over a cliff into a river or something. Obviously, you want to be safe. Do a safety jump or reality check frequently, and you can even do so with your clock, your timer. Maybe you question yourself then, or again, when you see something unusual. It's also important to be aware of our surroundings and to ask, how did I get here? Question that. Maybe you went to bed, and then suddenly you find yourself at work. You question, how did I get here? What was my method? Did I drive? Did I take the bus? Why am I suddenly here? Question that. Also, use unusual moments to question reality. You see something out of the ordinary? You can even try, like, every time you see a plane in the sky, pull your finger. Pick something concrete. Earlier today, I remember seeing a military helicopter. You don't usually see this. Pull my finger. Pick something. Maybe something in the sky. Could be a certain kind of car. Could be an object. Use unusual moments. Set frequent reminders. You can do so on your clock, as I said. And utilize multiple checks if necessary. Important is to continue to practice self-remembrance and self-observation. This is the fundamental key to knowing the internal worlds, is to develop these skills moment by moment, every day. We should also investigate how attention and awareness works in mundane activities like eating or washing hands, walking, etc. Because in the beginning, it, it's unusual. Oftentimes, we have the attitude like, we know, again, as I said, we know what we're thinking or feeling while we do things. But are we actually looking at it? Are we observing the act, seeing what's new? It's also important to maintain our awareness throughout the day so that we no longer dream but remain conscious. It may be difficult in the beginning where perhaps you're walking down the street, maybe Michigan Avenue, and you see something attractive in the window of a shop. And as you're observing yourself, you suddenly find your attention being drawn to some, some kind of place. And as you get invested and identified with the shopping experience, you go about your day, and then suddenly you remember, I was supposed to be observing myself. I'm supposed to be attentive. We lost our state. We forgot what we were doing. So it's good that we recognize that in the beginning, because we'll find often in the beginning our, there are gaps in our memory. We forget what we're doing. And we have to remind ourselves again and again. It's also important to cultivate equanimity, to be at peace, even in the worst situations, because that is the most best defense we can say 
against getting caught up in the world. It also has, it has to do with having a receptive mind and an active consciousness. Let thought go. Be attentive. Be aware. There are three things we can look at as we're studying our dream life. There are three degrees of cognizance to consider every time we wake up in the day or wake up from night and then go about our day. It's important to become aware of time. How long did we remain cognizant? We practice self-observation. We keep note of how conscious we are and how familiar we are with that state. Keep a mental note. It's also important to measure the frequency. How many times have we awakened our consciousness? Maybe at night you have a few dreams, different points of uh, the nocturnal hours. How many times did we wake up? That's something to keep track of, to remember. And also, the third, amplitude and penetration. What was one cognizant of? What did we actually perceive? What did we actually experience? These are three things we can consider as we're studying our dreams, but also studying our waking states. These are a couple of resources that we have available that you can study that expand upon many of the instructions we're giving today. There's a course called Meditation Essentials on Glorian.org, which is very effective for teaching how to develop concentration and meditative experience. And learning how to meditate is, goes hand in hand with dream yoga. If you learn how to meditate practically, you will awaken in dreams very frequently. It takes a type of work. And on our website, we have three courses, Gnostic Meditation, the Sufi Path of Self-Knowledge, and Sufi Principles of Meditation, where we talked about different religious traditions that teach this science. The first course is more about the Buddhist way of teaching this uh, discipline, but these others are from the Middle East and can give you a kind of instruction if you're looking for more. So for our exercises, Every day, develop your self-observation from moment to moment. Observe the energy it takes to pay attention and sustain mindfulness. In every instant, practice the key of soul so that it becomes a habit you repeat within the internal world. Question the validity of what you perceive. And lastly, record the facts of your waking and internal experiences in your spiritual diary. Any questions? Sure. Um, meeting people like in your dreams, um, most of the time it's like your own projection of them, right? But like, is it possible to, let's say, meet somebody that's also conscious in their dream? Yes. Yeah, so some people will often experience other people and places and things. <clears throat> but many times those dreams can be very muddled, very vague or obscure. And there may be a type of thread or logic to the dream and the experience, but it doesn't have a type of cohesion. You wake up and you question the validity of what you saw. Because you sense that there's something nonsensical or egotistical about it. 
We often do repeat our daily life within the dream world. If you work at a car mechanic shop, you may find you're fixing cars in the astral plane. And you'll see often maybe your coworkers. The way to tell if you're seeing a projection of your mind and seeing what's actually there is to follow your intuition. The power of intuition is the ability to discriminate what you perceive. And in the beginning, for most of us, it's very difficult to tell what's what. That's because our heart needs to be exercised. Intuition is the ability to know without having to think. You don't have to necessarily go to a dream dictionary, right? Find some type of intellectual answer that's going to corroborate what you're seeing. That's often the tendency for most people. You have a dream, and then you want to know what it means. What's the reality there? You discern what's real from what's false by developing intuition. Your hunch. Your conscience. Conscience is like a little voice that tells you this is this and this is that, right from wrong, good and bad. But for most of us, we tend to smother that with our actions. In the daytime, we may know certain behavior could be wrong. We don't discriminate between our own fantasy, what we want from the situation, or what is actually there. If you want to discriminate in your dreams, you got to develop that in the daytime. Discriminate your own mind. Because there will come a time when, as you're deepening self-observation and self-remembrance, that in the dream state, you suddenly are able to, first, you see perhaps people and places and things, but which you know are illusory. They're a mirage. Or they're some kind of projection of your own mind. And if you have enough separation from yourself, because you're dividing your attention, but also remembering yourself, suddenly you know this is an illusion, and you can walk away from it. Step away from the conversation with some nonsensical person or figure or place or thing. You see the illusion, you step away, you go do your uh, investigations. You discriminate based off of the heart. A simple practice to develop the heart is with mantra. So we explained in a previous lecture on mantras for astral projection that the vowel O vibrates in the heart. You find syllables like Om in Hinduism and Buddhism especially. And it's a very ancient mantra, sacred sound, which can charge your psyche. You feed your heart with superior emotion. That mantra, ethical behavior, where you start to follow your sense of what is right and wrong and to follow that, you exercise that muscle and it gets stronger. So then we have a sense of integrity in our actions because if we do something we know is wrong, we're haunted by that. Our own sense of right and wrong will chase after us. Can't run away from it. Rather than run away, it's better to follow it. And that's what it means to become a real spiritual person, to be independent. Does it require allegiance or groups, institutions? It requires ethical integrity. The more you follow your inner discriminative 
uh, discrimination, your ability to tell right from wrong. When you're dreaming at night, you can sense and be awake and discern what's real, what's false. And then you can go from there. So, um, Sure. Typically when I dream, I only remember the very end. And the few times I have been able to uh, lucid dream for a bit, like be aware that I'm in the dream, it's like there's like a stopwatch. It's like, oh no, it's falling apart and then I'm up. It's like as sure. soon as I know I'm dreaming, it ruins that it wakes me up. Sure. I don't know how, because I've done that thing of like checking if I'm dreaming during the day, and I've been like, oh, I'm dreaming right now. And sure. it's like, oh, I just, I'm like, I don't know what to do, and then I'm awake. Sure. We can often lose an experience because of, because of an emotion. Possibly. For a lot of people report it, talking about in the middle of a dream, you suddenly realize you're dreaming, and a lot of people become excited. It's a common sentiment. Like, I'm out of my body. But the thing is, your fear or any type of strong emotion can take us out, snap you back to your body. This is why meditation is so effective. Because with equanimity, with dispassion, with not getting alarmed or worried about or overwhelmed by what one is seeing or the realization you're out of your body, you can maintain stillness. The consciousness can effectively navigate the internal worlds by learning to be serene. It doesn't mean that one doesn't feel emotion because the consciousness has its own capacities for emotion which are very divine. Like really positive sentiments. You can find that reflected in like music like by Beethoven. Very strong, intense soul but from the heights, superior emotion. But commonly, my experience is when people get snapped out of the dream, it's because one is either overwhelmed by a negative emotion or a sentiment that takes you out, or the consciousness is not trained enough. So in the beginning, you can get sporadic moments where you're suddenly dreaming. But the question becomes, how do you sustain it? The way that you do that is by developing concentration and self-observation. Observing yourself, maintaining your mindfulness throughout the day, and not getting carried away by maybe the, a mind that's distracted. Like we can get distracted or uh, an emotion that can pull us out. I don't know if that's your experience, but typically that's, that's been mine, especially in the beginning. Sometimes a realization you get excited. Also, I instructor taught us a technique where you can click your heels, hold your heels together, and sometimes that works to ground you in the experience. But the more you get comfortable with it, and the more regularly it's happening, the less likely you are to wake up from it because it becomes kind of normal and you don't get the excitement or the confusion that could also kick you out. But try clicking your heels together, holding them together, and see if that grounds you in the actual yeah, and if you've all seen The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy clicks her heels three times. He says, I wish I was home. Well, the real home is uh, the real home is the internal worlds. So part of the part of the mythology in that story, which is symbolic of these types of phenomena, is that when you click your heels together, there are two chakras in your heels that when you bring them together, they kind of form a lock. So that 
energetically, your physical body may be trying to pull you back because your body wants to wake up, but you can maintain attention awareness in that state. And uh, it's very effective. So perhaps you're having an experience, you, you want to learn more about something, click your heels. Um, I had dreams where I'm flying, like flying downtown around right the buildings, and then I would be like, oh, I can't fly. And then I'd be falling. And then during that fall, I'd like realize, hey, uh, this is, I'm dreaming now, so I can do anything I want. And then I would go back and dream, and it would be, so it'd be like kind of all over the place. And I want to keep doing more of that sure yeah so again to maintain that state requires equanimity you develop that with meditation but also trial and error <clears throat> repeating the experiment but how do you start that like when i go to sleep how do i initiate that in my in my dream in my sure. sleep Sure. You can basically, uh, we gave a lecture on our website. You can li listen into, it's called uh, Mantras for Astral Projection, which is how you can actually go into that state consciously. And to maintain it requires familiarity. Try it, try it again and again, because you learn how to maintain that state through practice. So the more that you experience it and the more you meditate and acclimate your consciousness to that dream reality, such as when you're meditating, you gain more stability and your abilities to be grounded. Now with meditation, we combine it with drowsiness. Meditation in a wakeful state is actually harmful because part of meditation is that when you're relaxing your physical senses, your consciousness has to be activated. So while you're physically drowsy, you're maintaining that state willingly, you start to enter your own dreaming states. And meditation is a threshold between the physical and the internal worlds. We do the same thing every time we try astral projection is you are meditating, falling asleep, basically. And you allow your body to become calm. And then as you're attentive, but you're falling asleep, it's an interesting mixture. You start to perceive things that you wouldn't physically, maybe sights and sounds, voices, places, environments. The more you get familiar with that threshold, and you allow the process to unfold of itself without trying to control it, perhaps, with desire. Like, I want to do this and that. You just let it happen. There will come a moment when you are projecting out of your body or you're about to, you can leave your body where you will sense intuitively, this is the moment I have to act. It's an interesting dynamic where you have to know when to let things be. And then knowing how to act is a matter of knowing ourselves. Is it our consciousness that wants to do certain things or is it our desires? We have to question that. That's a mantra for him to try? Yeah. Um, one mantra I found particularly successful is Egypto. Uh, it's from Egypt. You sing it, you prolong it, each vowel. And when you're falling asleep, you can do the mantra, sing it out loud for perhaps 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 
then you can whisper it, and then you can do it mentally. The mantra sounds like this. You sing the mantra. You let your consciousness swim in it. Be like the bee that is making honey. The vibration has a soothing effect, but also activates what we call the chakras, which are faculties of the astral body. And that physical vocalization helps not only our physical uh, glands to vibrate with that type of superior force, but also the astral body vibrates. So when you activate that energy, you'll go out. Yeah, you can. That helps. You can, after a while, after doing it physically for a few minutes, start to pronounce it mentally because it's really about feeling the vibration and the chakras and the energetic bodies as well. So it starts to move inward. And visualizing the pyramids, this mantra is usually used to try to go to a temple in the astral plane that's within one of the pyramids in Egypt. It's spelled E G I P T O. Egipto with the Spanish pronunciation. Sure. Uh, I have a couple of dreams where I, it's like something bad happened and I wanted to wake up. Sure. And then I wake up in another dream and it's happened for at least three times. Sure. Sure. Nightmares are common. It happens to a lot of people. A couple of reasons for that too. Uh, one of them can be, for some people, eating a heavy meal before they go to bed often can produce nightmares. And we explained uh, when you eat heavy foods and are digesting that when you're asleep, going to bed, it's taxing on your body. It also activates chakras of the abdomen relating to negative states. So I know I talked a bit about heavenly dimensions, but oftentimes we can awaken within infernal ones too, as symbolized within different religious cosmogenies. Dante's Inferno, for example, where he describes a journey through hell to heaven. It's a symbol of that state. If you struggle with nightmares, I recommend doing the runic practices, the runic vowels, the ones that we initiated with uh, the seven vowels, in which uh, there's a video on the PDF. When you energize the consciousness, you take positions, you're doing certain prayer, vocalizations, and you make these postures in the symbol of the Nordic runes, and you vocalize the vowels, seven vowels. I know in English we talk about five, but a vowel in esoteric language has to do with a nucleus of meaning. You know, you have vowels are basically what unite or, or form the nucleus of a word. Unites consonants. Spiritually speaking, there are seven nuclei in your spine. Centers of psychological and spiritual activity relating to your chakras. Seven chakras. A lot of schools talk about that. You do the runes. However long you need, get a sense of it, experiment with it. That energy will help strengthen your consciousness. I know one person, as a kid, he used to suffer nightmares. His father knew this teaching and would do the runes for him, with him for like two to three hours. 
Because his, his particular nightmares were very intense. And it got rid of it. And the reason is, you're invoking the energies of nature, the divine, to circulate through you. So when your consciousness is vibrating at a higher level, you're not going to necessarily be so attracted to go down into perhaps nightmares, which are reflections of our own hell realms, so to speak. So there's a way to kind of transcend that. So very effective. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.